I would encourage you if you if you are working with brokers, take good care of your brokers. Make sure that you send them a birthday present, a Christmas present. Don't ask them to lower their prices. Take good care of your brokers. They're the ones that can bring deals to you. And then we also have a policy of if we buy a property through a broker, we're going to sell through that that same broker. That always goes well for him wanting to bring us deals because he knows that there's automatically going to be another sale three to seven years down the road through him. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape Wall Street and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals to build wealth with real estate. That's what we're here to help you do. Today, our guest is Kevin Romney. Today, we're talking about building off-market deal flow in the commercial multifamily space. Kevin and his business partners have been very successful in building a portfolio of multifamily investments. And today, we're digging into how they got the deals in the first place. How did they find the opportunities? How did they build their relationship? How do they evaluate opportunities and just keep the ball rolling to get more deals in their pipeline and continue to grow their portfolio? If you've ever wondered what it takes to find opportunities in commercial multifamily, that is multifamilies that are five units or more, well, that's what this conversation is all about. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Kevin Romney. We're digging into his strategy for building off-market deal flow in commercial multifamily. Let's go. Hey, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you're up to today, what you invest in, where you came from? Absolutely. First of all, thank you, Taylor, for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. My name is Kevin Romney. I am the founder, one of the co-founders of Camino Verde Group. Camino Verde Group is an investment company. We invest in real estate, primarily multifamily, but we do have some land plays and some hospitality things that we're working on. My partner, Mike Ballard, and I started the company about four years ago. You know, I, at the time, had a renewable energy company. I was getting ready to sell it. I met Mike for breakfast one morning. I said, if I sell it, what am I going to do? Mike is also a partner in a company that does the back office accounting for about 40,000 units nationwide. And he, he said, you know, I, I, I see what these multifamily owners make, and you and I are just as smart as they are. We've done real estate. We haven't done multifamily, but we've done other types of real estate. Let's get involved. And so I did my due diligence. I came back to Mike. I said, I, I'm in. Let's do it. So we started Camino Verde Group four years ago. We currently have about 700 units that we have syndicated that we do the asset management on. And then we're also involved in development of about 1,000 units at the moment. And then we've got a couple of land plays and some hospitality deals that we're working on. We stay busy. We're excited about where we're headed and looking forward to a bright future. Great. And you've gotten a lot of things done in a relatively short time. And today, I'd love to dive into how you find off-market value-add opportunities. That's kind of the holy grail of real estate investing and particularly value-add real estate investing. So let's dive in and talk about your process for finding those off-market deals. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for asking. So probably about 70% of the deals we do are, are deals that we find off-market. 
We've got a large presence. We have about six properties that we own and operate and manage here in Las Vegas. The very first property we ever bought, Mike and I set a goal and we said, we're going to buy our first property in 90 days. We started in February and the first property we bought, we closed on July 31st of 2019. And that property was an on-market, on-market deal. But the broker that we purchased it from, once he knew that we could get a deal done and we could get it closed, we began to work very, very closely with that broker. And every other property that we've bought in Southern Nevada, oh, I should say almost every other property we've bought in Southern Nevada, in that neighborhood, we've actually got five, five properties in that same neighborhood, have come to us through him, through him bringing us off-market deals, just knowing that we're knowing that we're, we're able to get the deal closed. So I would encourage you if, you, if you are working with brokers, take good care of your brokers. Make sure that you send them a, a, a birthday present, a Christmas present. Don't ask them to lower their prices. Take good care of your brokers because they're, they're the ones that can bring deals to you. And then we also have a policy. Of, if we buy a property through a broker, we're going to sell through that, that same broker. And when he knows that we're going to sell that property through him after three to five years or seven years, however long we hold that property, that always goes, bodes well for him wanting to bring us deals because he knows that there's automatically going to be another sale three to seven years down the road through him. So that's one method that we've used to find off-market deals. We've also, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories is... When we first started, again, my partner you know, does the back office, uh, has a company that does back office accounting for, for multifamily owners. And his customers are generally property management companies that don't want to have a back office or they're owner operators that don't want to have to hire folks for a back office. And so he had a young lady that had left a, another property management company. She had started her own and she says, Mike, I really want to manage some properties for you. And he said, well, you know, why don't you go find us a property and we'll buy it and then you can manage it. And this was very early on. This was one of the first properties we underwrote back in 2019. She brought us a deal. It is in the Clarksville, Tennessee, MSA area, not far from Nashville, but it's across the, 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 the border in, in Kentucky, right there near, near the military base. And they brought it to us. It was, it was a gentleman had just bought it. He was planning to remodel it. It was about $40,000 a door, and we were very serious about buying it, and we had some great mentors as we started this business, and some very wise mentors said, you know, you probably, your first buy probably shouldn't be a thousand miles away from you and be a heavy lift, and we listened to their advice. We did not buy it, but a year, you know, 14 months later, when he had done his remodel, he came back, and he was using family to run the business. He was using family to do the accounting, and he didn't really have a good set of books. And if you don't have a good set of books, it's really hard to go out to market if you can't, you know, give your broker a T12 and, and, and some of the other things. And so she brought this back to us, you know, a little bit over a year later, the price was now about 60,000 a door because it put about 15,000 in, into each unit. I wanted to have a little bit of market. We did our due diligence. We said, yeah, this is a great deal. We want to, we want to move forward with it. At the time, we were still pretty new. We needed to raise about $4 million to purchase the property. We decided that you know, we were a little bit nervous as to whether or not we could raise that much on our own. And we joint ventured with another group that has lots of experience and has assisted with the asset management and the underwriting. And, and with the fundraising together, we were able to, to raise the money to, to, to purchase the property and to buy it. 
It's been a great, fantastic property for us. We bought it for about $14,500,000. And we just about last year, just before interest rates went up, we were able to refinance it. The property had increased in value significantly. We were able to get 10 years interest only on it at about 3.35%. That's, that's a property that cash flows very, very nicely for us. And working with our partners to run it and to manage it has been just a great, uh, a great event. So that was one of the other ways that we were able to secure a, a great property off market. Wow. So there's so much there. And in your business, it seems that brokers have been a key part of finding these deals. So let's dig a little bit deeper in working with brokers effectively. You gave a great example of when you buy a property through a broker, you have a policy of selling that property through that same broker, but any That's other strategies, tactics, you know, whatever methods that you have used to get deal flow through brokers. So brokers are key to, I mean, they, they know what's going on in the market and they know what, what opportunities are available. And so again, you take very good care of your broker. But another thing that's important is if when a broker sends you a deal, especially if it's an off-market deal, you need to respond to them quickly. You need to say, hey, thank you for considering us. We appreciate that. You need to get it underwritten and you need to get answers back to them. We try and do that within 72 hours and, and not delay. You know, we get our underwriting team to get working on the project. And if we can get back in 48 hours, even better. We always try and get back. And a lot of times the answer is, hey, I can't make this work. You know, we can't hit the numbers that your, that your seller wants. But they always know that if we get back to them quickly, you know, we're, we're not going to stretch them on for two weeks as we, you know, try and get it underwritten and, and, and drag, drag them on and on. They, they want to take it and share it with other potential buyers or they want to get it on the market. They're interested in moving quickly. And so we always try and be, be fast and be quick, be, be, be very responsive. We don't, we don't let their emails or phone calls go, go unanswered. Nice. So how many deals would you say you have to look at to get one that you're interested in putting an offer on. Let's talk about that funnel in terms of the you know percentage of deals that you're seeing and the ones you want to make offers on and ultimately end up closing on these days. What I frequently hear in the industry is you underwrite, you underwrite 100 deals, you send LOIs out on 10, and you close one. Yep. You know if you're if you're underwriting market rate deals or deals that are on the market that are high competition. Yeah, that's, that's probably the case. We've found that our numbers are much better. If we can get into deals that are off market, they're where, where we don't have competition. A lot of times we may be the only people looking at it. We may be the only, the only interested party at the moment, if we can move quickly, that our, our numbers have been significantly better than that. So we still do a lot of underwriting, but I, you know, and I, I don't have the numbers right off the, the top of my head, but we probably underwrite 2025 deals to get one deal done. Yeah. And, and again, that's a factor of the fact of it being an off-market deal that's being brought to us by a known broker and a known entity. They know what we like and, and they, can, they can bring it to us. And they're doing plenty of that screening for you and bringing you those opportunities. So exactly, when you get a deal sent to you, what do you look for? You had mentioned T12. You'd kind of, I think, alluded to maybe you're getting some pricing guidance from the broker. But what other information are you looking for so that you're able to assess yes, we're interested, or hey, thanks for thinking of us, but we're going to pass on this one. Yeah, great questions. And you know, when, when we underwrite a deal, you, we like to get, at a minimum, we like to get the rent roll and the T12. But we can't always get that. So for example, on the, the project in, in Kentucky, 
we they didn't have great records. We didn't know if what they had was accurate. And so we went on kind of rule of thumb numbers. Our, the property manager there had some other properties that she was managing and we used her 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 expenses and what and her knowledge, market knowledge as to what we could get for rents. And we used those numbers and plugged it in and we were able to run and, and go from those numbers. In this particular neighborhood here in Las Vegas, where we have five different properties, you know, we will match certainly if we can't get it at T12 or, or rent roll, we just match it up with the numbers from our other properties. You know, four of them, four of our properties that we own are on the same street, and one of them is just on the street, one street over. We know, you know, market knowledge. We know what rents are in that neighborhood. We know what we're paying for insurance. We know what we're paying, you know, for other expenses on our other properties. We just, we just match it up with those numbers and, and run it and see if we can get to a purchase price that makes sense for us. And that gives you that first pass. But then once you dig deeper, how often do you find that once you get the rent rolls and the T12s and everything, how often do you find that this isn't quite what we had expected? We're going to pass on this one or our real price is going to be a little bit lower than what we had discussed. Like before you're really getting to a retrade, how often do you have to kind of come back and say, we, we can't do it? Well, that, that does happen on occasion. Absolutely. We purchased 152 units in Fort Worth, Texas. And we had another property in Fort Worth that we had under contract. And the, the, the reality is you get it under contract and then you just got to do your due diligence and just dig, 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 dig. And as we, as we started to do our due diligence on that property, we got, you know, we had people out on the property. We found that there were foundation issues. And as we went through and started getting bids on what it was going to take to, to repair the foundations, it, it was pretty, it was pretty significant. It was going to be, you know, we had one bid that was about seven to $800,000 to, to fix the foundations. We knew that number was high, but the real number came in between three hundred to 500000 is what it was going to take to fix the foundations. And we just finally had to go back to the, uh, to the, uh, to the seller and say, look, unless you can accommodate us on this, this repair, we're just going to have to walk away from the deal. And we did that. We actually walked away from the deal because we, we couldn't get, couldn't get comfortable during the due diligence period. So that happens. Neither buyer nor seller likes that to happen, but you know, it's a part of the business. If, if you get into due diligence to find issues and problems that you can't resolve, then you know, just don't be afraid to walk away from a deal because better to walk away than get in and, and then be over your head. Totally agreed. So they say, and this has been my experience that the deal flow in most markets is 90% controlled by just a handful of brokers. Has that been your experience, one? And then two, if so, are those the folks you're targeting to work with or are you looking for the um, segment that gets less attention but still has some deal flow? Boy, great question, Taylor. So we have found that to be very true. The properties that we have purchased in Las Vegas are older properties and they're smaller properties. And we've concentrated on that because there's a lot less competition in that in that area. If we if we try and go, you'll buy the class A properties that are three hundred plus units, we're gonna be complete competing with with the big boys. And we've stayed in the the older and the smaller markets and there are just there there's a handful of brokers that specialize in that type of, of property. Just FYI, I don't know what the numbers are as of just the second quarter, but as of the first quarter in Las Vegas, there had only been about 10 properties that had had sold, and we were responsible for buying one of those, 
And actually, we were responsible for buying two of those, and then we've sold one since then. In that marketplace of those types of, of products, we've been we've been responsible. Our company, Camino Verde Group, has been responsible for probably 20, 30% of the of the buying and selling in in that that particular space. It's a good good spot to be in when you're you know, exactly. It's it's a great spot to be in. Eating up a lot of the market makes a lot of sense. So, what are your thoughts about? going direct to seller. It's a very different market when you're in commercial multifamily. The brokers control a lot of the market, but have you delved into doing things like direct mail or digging in, trying to talk to sellers directly? You know, we have not done that. A lot of people do, and I can tell you we get letters and letters and letters all day on on people wanting to buy our, our properties. We haven't done that. I'm one of my businesses before this was the the call center business, so I'm certainly familiar with calling folks and asking for this or that or selling this or that. But we have not yet gone down that road of of approaching sellers directly through mail or through through calls. I know individuals who have and have had good success, but it is it takes a lot of time and effort to get there and and to to find those potential buyers, and then to to find out whether they're really. I mean, they'll. A lot of them are professional sellers. They'll they'll talk to you and talk to you and talk to you, but when it comes time to pulling the trigger, they they won't do it. A lot of people can spend a lot of time talking to folks and then not never get a deal done. So we have not done that yet. I'm not saying that we won't go that direction. Not saying that that's not a good direction to go. But boy, there's certainly a lot of competition. We find that that brokers, property management companies, attorneys, CPAs, even insurance agents. We had had an insurance agent that we were working with that was turning us on to some off-market properties. We didn't we didn't buy it, but you know, it was a great source of, you know, opportunity for us to to get to get to talk to to sellers and not have, you know, 10 other guys right behind us. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on the I don't want to be too negative with this question, I suppose, but what are your thoughts on the the value add that brokers bring to the space? Are the are the commissions worth it? I guess is really what I'm getting at. Do they do they provide the value that they charge or what are your thoughts about that? You know, brokerage fees are expensive, but it's a part of the business and you just cost it into the uh to the underwriting and we don't ask our broker to take a discount. On occasion they have as we've come back to to sellers and said, "Hey, we want to repair credit because during due diligence, we found this, 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 and this, and we're coming back and asking for repair credit. Uh, I can tell you our broker has, has volunteered to pitch in, you know, part of his commission to, to cover the seller for part of the, the, the repair credit that we requested. But we don't ever directly go to our broker and say, Hey, can you cut your commissions? Because that's, that's how, that's how they make their living. And if you do that very often, they're going to find somebody else who doesn't ask who they're going to take those deals to first before taking them to use. Is it worth the commission that we pay? Absolutely. I absolutely believe that it's worth the commissions that we pay to the brokers. Like to pay less, but it is what it is and and we're okay with it and we just build it into the cost. We'd like to pay less for the properties. We'd like to pay less in property taxes and insurance too. The list goes on, right? We'd, we'd right. a better deal. So right. let's dig a little bit into your process after you have a property that you want to make an offer on. Let's say you have a verbal agreement through the broker or whatever, not quite to the LOI process. Tell about tell us about your LOI, getting a PSA, everything like that, how you think about those steps. Fantastic. So we've got a we've got a template for our LOI that we, you know, when we get to the point where we're ready to make an offer, we we fill out the LOI, get it sent out, we give the the buyer or pardon me, the seller five days 
to you know, either get back to us or accept or reject. And then once we are able to get that signed LOI, we've got you know, templates on our purchase sale agreement. We've got an attorney, a local attorney here that we use for real estate. And so on some of the smaller deals, we don't always go to the attorney, but on the bigger deals, we always have him give a, you know, a look at the template that he created and uh, see what uh, edits and changes are needed. We try and get the, the, we try and get the PSA signed, you know, within, we we hate to go much further than seven days past the signing of the LOI. There's always one or two turns on that process with changes and edits that, uh, you know, the, the other party might want to make, but we always try and get once we've got the signed LOI, we try to get to a signed PSA as fast as we possibly can. We don't want something else happening or some other offer coming coming in and and preempting us getting it getting it signed. Absolutely, you want to get it under contract. Before we move to the three questions I ask every guest in the show, let's kind of wrap it up and sum it up for the listener out there who wants to start getting their own off-market deal flow going through brokers. We'll we'll qualify it that way. What would you say is the best way to build that broker relationship to prove yourself and you know get that deal flow going? Fantastic question. And when, and when Mike and I first started the business. We, we set up a set of goals and one of them was to contact X number of brokers per week and to take them to lunch and, and to get to know them. And so I would say if you're first starting out, just find, find a list of brokers and, and you can, you can do that through a loop net. You can do that through an internet search, but find out who deals with multifamily properties and then call them up and just say, Hey, you know, here, here's who I am. Here's our company. Here's what we're looking for. Here's what we're doing. You know, here's, here's our criteria. Can you send us some deals to look at? And then I would be, you know, don't pester them and call them every day, but, you know, once a week or so, just a text or a reminder or a phone call and say, hey, we're still here. And then meet with them. It's always great to meet with them and take them to lunch, take them to breakfast, talk to them, go to their offices, have a sit down with them. You know, the more they see that you're real, that you're genuine, and it may take, it may take you know, four, five, six, eight, maybe even 10 touches with that broker, but I guarantee you, you talk to a broker 10 different times, he knows you're interested in buying and he'll start sending you deals to look at. The other thing is if you've got a track record, you know, share with them the track record because they want to sell to, they want, they want somebody who they know is going to be able to buy. They don't want to waste their time with somebody who, who can't get the deal done. So if you've got a track record, great. If you don't have a track record, lean on somebody who does have a track record. And when we first started, we did that. We had some other folks that were mentors and we were able to lean on their track record and use that to help us. And, and you know, we've had mentors that have helped us and have been fantastic and, and we're willing to pay it forward and help other people get started in the business. And in fact, we've done that with several of our limited partner investors who came in as limited partners. And then they said, hey, we want to be on the GP side. And then they started doing their own deals and we've helped them do their own deals. We absolutely like to help mentor people. Nice, nice. Rising tide lifts all boats. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Kevin, I've got three questions. I ask every guest in the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The best investment I've ever made is in my family. My family, my kids, spending time with them. I I love... I love the outdoors and I set a goal to go to all the national parks in the lower 48. And just last year, I was able to finish that out with going to Dry Tortugas down, you know, 70 miles west of, of Key West and took one of my sons, took some of my grandkids. And, you know, I just love to travel and go places with my kids and, and teach them and, 
that's to me the best investment I've ever made in my life is in my family. I love it. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment, and I'm even embarrassed to, to admit it, but I will. Back in the, I don't know if it was the 80s or 90s, I can't remember, there was a, a craze about uh, emus. They're uh, flightless birds similar to ostrich. I think they come from, I'm trying to remember now, they come from Australia or from New Zealand, and they were going to be the greatest red meat. And uh, so I, I got involved in the exotic breeding business, and I bought a pair of breeding emus and I was supposed to make a lot of money and wound up not making very much money. So I'd say that was probably the worst investment I ever made was becoming an exotic breeder of emus. Interesting. Yeah, that I, I can see why that didn't, didn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? You know, I would say the most important business in investing is do your due diligence. Turn over all the stones, look at things closely. You know, and especially in property, you, your due diligence is a huge part of the equation. But in any investment, do your due diligence, talk to people, interview people, find people who have been involved in the business, and ask, ask lots of questions. Do your due diligence. Nice. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge. If folks want to reach out or get in touch or learn more about what you're up to, where can they track you down? They can track me down. Our website is CaminoVerde.com. My email address is Kevin at CaminoVerdeGroup.com. That's C-A-M-I-N-O-V-E-R-D-E group.com. Camino Verde stands for Green Path in Spanish. So that's where you can track me down. Love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out. I love it. Well, thank you so much once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.